Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. The Lord's got an incredible word for us this morning. I can't wait to get to it, and I got to get to it because I got to go. <laughs> got to go. If you got your Bibles, open with me to Ephesians chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 1, and 1 John chapter 3. Other than that, I'm not going to preach from the Bible. Listen, how many of you have seen the shack? If you've seen the shack, uh, stay seated. If you hadn't seen the shack, stand up, would you? Stand up if you hadn't seen the shack yet. All right, all of you come down here and repent right now. <laughs> listen, listen, I, I just want to say, I, I know it's controversial. I know it's controversial, and we have fun. Thank you for having fun with me. Uh, I know it's controversial. I don't know why it's controversial. I do know why, but I don't know why. I mean, if that makes any sense. Uh, you know, the, the, guy, the, the you know, father is a female at one point. You know, and that's making everybody raw. But, you know, he never called her mama. He called her father. You know, and, and do, do you not think the father created females in his, in his image? I mean, it's like you just want to go, come on, man. Use, use your brain, you know. And, and, and they even qualified it in the movie. I mean, it was so perfect. Listen, I just want you to know, of any movie I have ever seen that did any type of biblical uh, 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 representation. The shack is the best biblical representation of the love of God that I have ever seen. You do not need to miss it. You need to go see it. It, it, it communicates the love of God like I've never seen communicated toward all people. And so I was motivated by that particular movie to present this message. One of the things the devil wants to do is he wants to keep you broken. Turn to the person left and to the right and say, the devil wants to keep you broken. But Jesus has already set you free. Say it. If you're a believer, if you're a believer, you've been set free. You just might not know it. And the devil's going to do anything he can to keep you broken. The biggest way that he keeps the church broken and, and dysfunctional is religion. It's an interesting statement from a pastor in a church, isn't it? Religion says, let's go to work. Grace and faith says, I already did the work. There's a major difference in the two. And what we find in the American culture of the church, especially, I don't know that much about the church in other parts of the world, but at least in the American culture, what we find is a works-oriented mentality. What you'll find is no matter what God presents to you as you read Scripture, immediately your mindset goes to, boy, I really need to work on that. It goes immediately to a place, I need work. How many would say, man, I really need to work on my faith? Man, I really need to work on that. You know, I need to, I need to work on, you know, I'm just not patient. I really, I really need to work on that. Immediately when we see where we 
aren't like God, our natural inclination is to say, let me go to work. And let me just tell you, how many of you have ever been frustrated at trying to work out these things of the kingdom and not being able to get them accomplished? Anybody ever been frustrated with that? We all have been frustrated with our past because we're going at it by works, and the Scripture is clear that it's not by works. So somehow we think that we can receive Jesus on the cross and we understand that, that it is through, you know, it's by grace through faith that we receive our salvation, but somehow it stops right there. Somehow our walk with God stops right there. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul addresses it and says, you foolish Galatians, why'd you start in the Spirit and try to end in your own strength? There's a recognition of that. It's all through Scripture. And so today, I'm going to rock your world and I'm going to change it, I pray. I hope that this, this is probably the most, the single most impactful message that I've ever put together on my life. And so I hope it's as impactful on yours. Because of what I've tried to do on this day of Pentecost, which is the celebration of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which means 50, which is the empowerment of the grace of God, the Spirit of God, coming on believers to empower them to do the things that God created them to do. Otherwise, they were living in defeat. And so we've been empowered by the church at Pentecost and from there forward to accomplish the will and the works of God. And so, and so we're, we're going to celebrate that today by kind of just going through uh, some ideas and some scriptures that I hope will transform the way not only you walk, but the way you see people, you see yourself and you see other people. So I'm going to do it a little different in this service. I'm going to read a couple of passages of Scripture. I'm going to go ahead and read them now, and then I'll come back to them as I'm teaching. Is that okay? The first one I want to read is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. I'm going to kind of read that, and I might just stop and have you help me as we go, okay? But God, say that with me. Say it real loud. Aren't you glad for the but gods? Boy, I am. Who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, let me give you the definition of grace. Grace is, is unmerited favor. You know, I'm going to beat you to death with this. You're going to get it. And if you can't define this to somebody else, you ain't got it yet. God's grace is unmerited favor, but it's not limited to just unmerited favor. It is the Spirit of God and the power of God working in your and my life that can do more than I can do on my own. Amen. It's empowerment by God to accomplish the things of God that can't be accomplished in your own strength. That is grace. And so it's by this power, by this grace, that we are saved in Christ. And he raised us up together and made us sit. Now, you notice the tense in this. He made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's even going to be revealed. There's this revelation process that's occurring, and there's going to be a day that the full revelation is going to come. You're going to see it all. 
You're going to sit off, and you're going to see what he says in just a moment. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Nothing you did, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a plan. He has, a, he has something in mind for you. He has something in mind for every human being. He has something in mind for you. And that is good. It's all good. His plan for you is good. And he prepared it before time again. Turn with me or look at, if we've got it on the screens, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. This is from the New Living Translation. I'm going to read this. This letter is from Simon Peter the slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm writing to, to you who share the same precious faith that we have. Now, this is one of the things that I want you to understand. Paul, Paul is writing, I mean, Peter is writing and saying to the church, I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith that I have. Now, the Scripture talks a little bit about giving us each one a measure of faith. Are you familiar with that? I always thought, well, uh, you know, Brother Paul here, and because he's a son of God, a man of God, God might have given him more faith because he liked him more or something. I'm not real sure. Or maybe I just wasn't ready for it. And I always, you always have this kind of concept. Well, you know, Paul's got a lot more faith, and I really need to grow in my faith. I need to really start working on growing in my faith so I could be like Paul. Immediately, we move something that is done by grace into this works mentality so that we can even be like those that we see that have more faith than we do. But that's not what, that's not what Peter's saying here. He's saying, you've got the same measure of faith that I've got. This is Peter. This is the apostle. This is the one that was in the upper room that got slammed by the Holy Spirit the very first time that preached the most incredible message that's ever been preached. And so many came to Jesus. But there's a faith that he says you have. And I believe that that is a measure of faith. And you're going to see that. I just want you to pay attention to that. And I'll bring that to more light here in just a minute. The same faith, this faith was given to you because of the justice and the fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now listen. May he give you more power to be transformed into something that you can't do on your own and rest in peace in the midst of that. He's not saying, I pray that you have more faith. He said, I pray that you get the knowledge of Jesus, that you know God. John says Jesus says this in John. He says, this is everlasting life, that you know God and his son. It is the knowledge of God that everything points to. And you've been given a measure of faith so that you can have the revelation of the knowledge of God. 
By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. In, in the New King James, it says, for life and godliness. Now, I want you to understand the tense in this. He's talking to the church, and he's saying to those who have been saved, who have received Jesus' payment on the cross, that you have everything you need for your life. You have everything you need for godliness. Now, what does that mean? That means you have everything you need to live this life God-like. Godliness is God-like. It's God-like. And he's saying about you and I that we have everything we need to live God-like. You've been given every, has been ever. Everybody has been given that has received Christ everything they need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know Him. How do you receive everything to live life in godliness? You know Him. You just know Him. You know Him. You know God. The one who called you to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us a great and precious promise. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. There's tons in there, isn't it? So let me walk you through this process and help you have a paradigm shift in your thinking. Maybe you already think like this and the, and the pastor has just been given a revelation this week that will change his life. I hope you do. If not, I want to reaffirm. If you do, I want to just reaffirm your thinking, okay? Who did Jesus die for? Jesus died for everybody. That's what this, there's just, this just uh, scene in the movie where where the father who has had a, ch a little child, a little girl murdered by a child molester. And, and the Lord is walking him through this process of understanding how God feels about this and his misunderstanding of knowing God, of who God is. And he's trying to reveal to him who God is. The father's trying to reveal to him who he is. And he comes to this place where he asked the father to make a choice between the two remaining children, who's going to go to heaven and who's not. Only one gets to go, you pick. Wisdom says to the father, and the father says, I can't pick. Well, you pick one because both of them don't deserve it. So you pick which one's not going to go. He says, I'm not going to pick. Well, you have to pick. Well, I'm not going to pick. Well, you have to pick. I'm not going to pick. You have to pick. Just let me go. And then it just gets quiet. And that's the love of God. That's the gospel message. God said, just let me go. He doesn't want anyone to suffer. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone not to prosper. He has a plan for everyone, and it is to do good. Everyone. He died for everybody under the curse, for everything under the curse. It was a universal yet personal death. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read a couple of parables that are back to back. And I want to show you just what we were singing, 
in what God says about you. Matthew chapter 13 Verse 44. It's called the parable of the treasure. And I want to make my point with, with this as well. The parable of the hidden treasure. Again, Jesus is talking. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Now, when we read this passage of Scripture, this is what we say. As believers who have this bent toward religion, we say this. We say, wow, the kingdom of God is valuable. It's really, really valuable. A matter of fact, it's so valuable that what I really need to do is give up my life, which is true. This is true. And it's got a hint of truth to it. I need to give up everything I have. I need to go do what it takes to get the kingdom. We immediately turn this parable into a works parable. We immediately go, this, i got to have this. Man, i got to do this. I want the kingdom. I want it bad. I've got to work harder. But the truth of the matter is, we miss him reading the parable. Who is the man? The man is not you. The man is God. The treasure is you. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, Jesus says about you, you're his treasure. And Peter, he says, you're a special chosen people. You're a treasure. When God sees you, he sees a treasure, and he desires to give up everything he had to buy you back. The parable of the pearl just responds right back to it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought the pearl. Your treasure. Your treasure. He will go get the one and leave the 99 because he sees the treasure. And so Jesus died for us all. We're treasures to God. So what did Jesus then accomplish on the cross? How did he do it? He did it. He accomplished it on the cross. What he did was he reversed, he repealed, he broke the curse, right? Y'all with me? So if you're treasure and he gave it all, he gives his life, there's no greater love than this that a man lay down his life for his friend. Jesus gave everything he had so that he could buy you back. So he broke the curse he, re he repealed the curse. He reversed the curse. He broke it over you. Sin was defeated at the cross. And the last thing to be defeated was death. And death was defeated at the resurrection of Jesus. It's all been done. 
He bought you back. So how do we appropriate this great act of love from God? Do you do it by works? No, we don't do it by works. We do it by faith. We do it through grace, through the power of God, through the revelation of God to understand the story of God and what God did. And we do it because of that revelation. We do it out of faith. We believe. Right? We're good with that. But what about, what about if I ask you the question, I have faith in that. I can, I can believe that, and, and I hope I don't go to hell. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to hell. You know, I, I got my ticket punts. I gave my life to Christ. I, I believe that God did all that. I, I believe that. But do you have faith to be healed? Do you have faith that your finances, that you are broken free from your financial situation right now? Do you have faith that you, that, that that you that God wants to heal your marriage. Do you have faith? You know how how is your faith? Is it is it strong? Is it good? Do you think you can you think you can muster it up and make it better? Do you have faith to lay hands on the sick and they recover? Can you walk around the city and have faith that you lay hands on people and the marriages are healed? That you speak kingdom into things and it begins to happen? Do you have faith in that? And I want to just tell you right now that I don't believe the church does. I'm not sure I do sometimes. I mean, if you think that you're not nervous sometimes if somebody comes in here in a wheelchair and you think, oh, do I have faith to pray for this guy and raise him up? You know, oftentimes we don't have faith. And, 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 then, and then when we see that we don't have that faith, we immediately move into this works-oriented process where we feel like, boy, I need to work on my faith. I just watched that guy in that wheelchair come in, and I'm not sure I can raise him up. And that's just doubt. Now, I know if I doubt, I won't receive anything from God. You wait till I give you what I'm about to give you. You're going to be blessed beyond measure in what James says in chapter 1. Let me just tell you that measure of faith that we read about in 1 Peter, that he says you've been given an anointing, a measure of faith that will bring you revelation. The same measure that Peter got has been given to you. And I just want to tell you and I want to proclaim to you today that you don't need to grow your faith. And it's impossible to grow your faith by works because you've already been given a measure of faith that's going to be enough for you. And that measure of faith is this. It's a measure of faith in the faith of Jesus Christ. That you have faith in Jesus' faith. Let me just ask you a question. When the Father sent the Son to die on the cross, I'm, I'm stre- I know I'm going to stretch your whole way of thinking right here. I'm, 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 I'm moving in to stretching you out. <laughs> Do you think the Father had to have faith that his plan was going to work? What is faith? It's, it belie- you believe. You, you think the Father knew that the plan was going to work. You think he had faith in it? Yes. So God the Father had faith. Did you think Jesus had faith that the Father's plan would work? What did Jesus do in the garden? He said, if there's any other way we can do this, I bring it on. But not but your plan. Because I got faith in the way you want it done. Right? 
Have faith in the Father's plan. Do you think Jesus had faith that the Father's plan was going to accomplish everything? That it would able to bring salvation? Now listen, salvation means this. I just want to reread what salvation means to you. I'm read grace. You need to know what salvation is. Salvation is rescue from the curse. And everything the curse brought to you as a believer, you've been rescued from the curse. You've been delivered from the curse. You've been put in a place of safety from the church curse. You've been free, liberated, released. He says he will uh, bring preservation to you because of salvation. He's your protection. He's your all in all. He, he brings forgiveness, healing, prosperity, deliverance, restoration. All those words are tied up in the Greek word for salvation. In other words, Jesus did that at the cross. Now, do you think that Jesus would die and be raised from the dead if he didn't have faith that what he did was going to release that on the church? He did. And listen, I believe that your measure of faith was given you to just believe and Jesus' faith. Does that make sense? Listen. Golly. I don't know if I have the faith to raise this guy from the dead or to raise this guy in this chair or to pray for this person for cancer or this guy's blind. So do you have faith in Jesus' faith? To raise the guy from the... Huh? Can you muster that up? Is it hard to muster up? Is it hard to muster up in you? I, I got faith in me. Is it, it's hard to muster up. Isn't it? I, but I can believe that Jesus has the faith to do it. Yes? So the measure of faith is just given to you so that you can have faith in the one who's the author and the finisher of our faith. Right? So now, if you need financial healing and you don't have faith in God to hear your prayers, can you have faith in Jesus' faith to bring about good in your life? Can you have faith in that? Can you see breakthrough in that? Can you see freedom being released in that? If you have faith in his plan, do you think God has a plan to prosper in you and not to harm you? Well I, well, I don't know if I can have faith in that. You think Jesus has faith in that? Can you have faith in Jesus' faith to bring prosperity to every area in your life? Why? Because his plan will work. Do you think God's plan is going to work? Well, like I can have faith in God's plan working. It doesn't have to be your plan. But he's, he's already said that this is who you are as kids. I've given you a measure of faith that so you can have faith in him so that everything that he did comes about. Because he prepared before the foundation of the world good works for you. Is, do you. Do you have faith that that's going to be carried out in your life? Can you have faith that what Jesus did on the cross makes that be appropriated into your life? It's so much easier to believe that Jesus' faith in the Father's plan is greater than yours. And so all I'm telling you today is you cannot work yourself into a place where your faith grows. What you need to do is get to know 
the Father and the author of our faith, and as you know him, you will be transformed by him. Listen, you can't work your way into transformation. You can't work your way into transformation. Why? Because the scripture tells us in 2 Peter that it's not by works. Why? Because we would we'd brag about it. You'd brag about it. Wouldn't you? I mean, people tell me all the time, Pastor Boyd, in eight years, you've been changing. And I go, no, I haven't. And they say, yes, you have. And I go, no. And I get, I get irritated sometimes. No, I hadn't. Yes, you have. You know, I, don't you know I was spiritually mature eight years ago? No. <laughs> I mean, we can, right? But I don't know that I've been changed because I've actually been transformed because I've been with him. If we work our way into what we consider transformation, all we're going to do is we're going to look at people and say, hadn't you seen me change? You, you don't see that my faith has grown? Can't you see my faith has grown? Because we, we get boastful about our transformation because it's done by works and not by faith. When it's done by faith, you don't even recognize it. You, you become something totally different than you once were. And it's because it's through grace and faith. It never changes. You're not free because of works. You're free financially even because of faith through grace. I was just told of a story this week, and we're going to get a testimony of this coming up. There was a man that I know that's going to give us a testimony soon. I'm not going to even give it away who it is, who had $8 million worth of debt in business. And the Lord relieved him of $3.3 million and then sold one piece of property for the remaining debt, and he got to keep all the other properties. In a matter of moments, and this is his testimony, you wanted me to bail you out, and I wanted to set you free. You prayed for years to bail you out, and I wanted to set you free. And as soon as you believed and had faith that, that that's why I died and that's what I came for, as soon as you begin to believe that about me, then it was a matter of months. Eight million dollars. Now, I don't know many of you in here, but I would venture to say that nobody's eight million dollars in debt. <laughs> he can handle you. You hear me? He can handle you. Do you have faith for that? You don't even need it. All you need faith for is the faith that Jesus came to do everything that he said he was going to do. So let's turn to 1 John. Let me give you some more stuff. Turn to 1. Now, how much time I got? Huh. We're good. I'm good. I don't know about you, but I'm doing real good. All right, now listen. When I, was in, when, when I went to King's College and Seminary, th this is the most remembrance I've had of anything I ever learned in there. <laughs> it was 1 John. Let me tell you why I remembered 1 John so much. The reason being was I thought, wow, the gospel is John. It's, I mean, it's dripping sweet. 
Now, the Gospel of John is just like, ooh, boy, John loved Jesus. Jesus loved John. Oh, what a beautiful testimony. Look at all these miracles. Man, the works of Jesus are great. And then you read 1 John, you go, what happened to this What happened to this sweet kid? He's now a religious zealot. That's the way it seems when you read 1 John. He's a legalist. And you kind of do this as you read it because it's, it's tough to read. It's in your face. But if you'll read it with the understanding that there's nothing that you can do that Jesus has already done it, it goes... It, it, it blows your mind. Let me read the whole thing. I think I, I might be able to read this whole thing and then come back and talk to you a minute. I can't. I can already see I can't. So just open your Bible to, to 1 John chapter 2. And I'm going to start in verse 27. It says this. And I want you to repeat it with me. This is New King James. But the anointing. Say that with me. But the anointing. Which you have received from him abides in you. Say that. Okay. All right, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it better. We're going to do it together. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. Now we're going to make it personal. All right? But the anointing which I have from him abides in me. Ain't that good? You've got an anointing. You've got an anointing of the Holy Spirit to live everything you need in life to live like God. It's already been given. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. There's an anointing. Now, now we have teachers. We have the church. But it's the Spirit of God who bear witness with you, who transform you, who teaches you. And, and understand this. And, and this, I think this is a misunderstanding. This is not a bunch of rules and regulations. John says, this is Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the Word of God that reveals the nature and character of God. So that you can know him. And as you know him, as you abide in him, you are transformed. Not by works, just by knowing him and loving him. When you know him and you love him, he'll transform you. And you won't even know it. And you won't even have to work. It's just peace and rest. And effortless. Why? Because you're just wanting to fall in love with the one who loves you. And when you do, he changes you so you think like him. You see how much he loves what he created. All things, and it's true, and it's not a lie, and just as he taught you, he will abide, you will abide in him. So there's this abiding in God, this just knowing God that makes transformation happen. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. 
And let's just let's back this up. Now, see, you can, you can get legalistic, you can get works out of this all day long, but it's not saying that. If you know that he is righteous, if you know that he is righteous, if you know that he is, he is right, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. The key is knowing Jesus, abiding in Jesus. Everything goes back to Jesus. Listen, there's only one sin that will be counted against humankind. And that is to reject Christ. There's only one sin. Because if you know him, he is righteous. And so if he is righteous and you know him, then you are. He is our, he is our righteousness. If we know him and he's righteous, then we're righteous. Everything has to do, well, don't I have to work for righteousness? Man, I, I'm not righteous. I don't do the right thing all the time. I think bad thoughts. I do bad things. Oh, I need to really work on my righteousness. No. If you know him, he is righteous. So you are righteous. Yes? Because it's, it's not by works. It's by grace through faith in what? In the righteous one. Let's keep reading. Behold, no, uh, what manner of love the Father has told him that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because he did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. There's this revelation that's going to happen. Listen, you're going to get more and more information about who God is, and then one day you're going to get it all. You're going to get this major download. The, the missing parts are going to come. The things you don't know about who God is is going to happen. And look at what it says. Beloved, now, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed but we, uh, what we shall be. But when we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. Everything about the transformation process as in coming into the likeness of God doesn't happen because of what you work. It happens because of the revelation of your knowledge of God. When you know God, it will change you. And everyone who has the hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I, I, could, I'm, I'm, I could keep going, but, but you're pure. You're pure. How many have the faith to believe that you're pure? Well, you say, Pastor, you don't know what I was just thinking. You don't know what I did this morning. 
You don't know what I did last week. You don't know how hard I have to, you know, how, how evil and angry I get when I think about so-and-so. And when I know what they did, oh, it, it, it just, you just don't know my heart. It's not by works. It's by grace, through faith. If Jesus is pure, and you know him, then you are pure. It keeps on going, and I've got to stop. It keeps on going, and it says this about sin. If you sin, then, then you aren't in relationship with him because he is your sin. I really want you to understand this. Jesus bore your sin. Your past sin, your, your current sin, and your future sin. Every bit of your sin has been put on the cross. He bore your sin. And so if he is sin, and he is sinless because he bore all the sin, then you are it's even hard to say, isn't it? How many of you have heard people go around, well, I just sin every day. Praise God for the grace of God. You don't understand. He bore our sin. He is our sin. We, he don't sin. He, he, he is sinless. So because you know him, you're sinless. Listen, Corinthians says this. Love keeps no record of wrong. How does that happen? Not by works, but by grace through faith in what Jesus did on the cross. So you're pure. You're, you don't sin at least as it is counted against you, because he doesn't sin. And you know him, and he did it for you. And so, your thinking should be this. I am righteous. And righteous men and women don't behave that way. A righteous man and woman wouldn't do that. So I'm not going to do that because I'm, I'm righteous. How are you righteous? Well, Jesus is righteous. And I have faith in his faith. So you have a measure of faith. You don't have to conjure up faith. You just have to have faith in what Jesus did. That his faith was enough for you. That the Father's faith is enough for you. That stretches you out, doesn't it? It stretches me out. Now let's think about it a little bit further. Let's go just a little bit further. Jesus even talks about love. You can't love. He is love unless you're in him. If you're not in him, you can't know love because he's love. But it even goes further. Who did, let's go back to who did he die for? He died for everyone. He died for the unlovable. He died for your enemy. 
He died for every person in every religion, in every culture. He, 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 he loves them. He's chasing them. He's calling their name. He, he has an incredible passion toward them, compassion towards them. And as a representative of God, and as you know God, you need to know his love for those who don't know him yet. And you need to know that before the foundation of the world, he had a good plan for them, for them to do good things, to do good works, to prosper them and not to harm them. And he loved them so much that he said, it's not by works, it's not what you do, it's I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to come. I'm going to get on the cross. I'm going to provide a way so that everyone can receive everything salvation brings. Rescue, provision, protection, safety, freedom, prosperity. It's for everybody. And so if you really know God, and you see somebody who's a liar and a thief. And you see somebody who, who is just self-destructing with alcoholism or some other kind of demon who is sexually perverted, whether that is porn or whatever else that could be their addiction. You have to understand that Jesus Christ died for them. That there is a compassion toward them that he is expecting us to show toward them because we know him. Not because you can work it out. It's impossible. It is by grace through faith in what Jesus did that transforms us into the ability to love like God loves. Yes. So your immediate response is going to be, boy, pastor, I really need to go work on this. <laughs> you can't. You just need to know God. got to know God. He's dying to know you. Yes. And he transforms you. Now that didn't happen by accident. Love the Lord. He loves you. Desire the Lord. He desires you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to transform you. And me. And you're not going to know it. You're just going to be different. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.